Pacers win in a new way. They beat the Pistons without a brilliant performance from Halliburton, without needing any individual to have an awesome night. Instead, everyone played their role exactly how they needed, how the Pacers got it done, how they won their in-season tournament group, and more on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you had a fun Thanksgiving break. If you had some time off and spent with family, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where are we, of course... Talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today, lots to get into from the weekend. That was Pacers sweep group play undefeated in the in-season tournament. They're going to host a quarterfinal game. How they beat the Pistons was new for this Pacers team. They closed it out with a different lineup. No Tyrese Halbert for much of the fourth quarter. They got big contributions from a bunch of different guys in the cruise to victory. New duos, new lineups. It was really... A unique and interesting and fascinating win for the Pacers in many ways. We'll break it all down, all those lineups, all the standout performers before talking about the in-season tournament scenarios at play and the Blazers, who the Pacers play tonight. Two crummy opponents in a row for the Pacers. Uh, We will start, actually, in the fourth quarter, because that's when this game really swung and changed in my brain. Uh, But first, I should say, if you're here for a recap, you didn't watch it, and you see the final scores, 136-113, Throw that out. Ignore that. Pacers have had a ton of games like this this year where the final score does not at all reflect what happened in the game. The Pacers lost to Orlando by 12. That was not a 12-point game. That was a 40-point game. They lost in Philly by 11 the first time. That was a close game that the Sixers just put away big at the end. They've had a couple games like this. In this one, the Pacers win by 23, but they did so because in the last four minutes, they were like they played perfect basketball. They were up less than 10 with like five minutes to go. I can find the exact moment. This was a close game. The Pacers were losing at halftime to the Pistons. Like, saying this game was impressive was, yeah, it was 119-112 uh, with five minutes to go on the dot. They were up five right before the five-minute mark. So this game was close for much of the game. Pacers were losing at halftime. Like, it was a pretty rough performance for them until the fourth quarter when there was a big, a couple things the Pacers did differently and a couple performers that were significant for the Pacers to get across the finish line with a win. I think thing one that matters is the minute distribution of the fourth quarter. The pace Tyrese Halberton in this fourth quarter that the Pacers dominated down the stretch to win and Halberton did fine when he came in, but that he only played two and a half minutes. He's got a wrist injury and they didn't really need him for the lineup that was working and that is credit to Rick Carlisle for sticking with it and credit to the guys who played for being the finishers that actually separated this game for the Pacers. The four minutes leaders for the Pacers in the fourth quarter were Miles Turner, expected, Bruce Brown, expected, Benedict Matherin, sometimes expected, and returning from injury, playing all 12 minutes of the fourth, Andrew Nemhard, less expected. Seven minutes of Obi Toppin in there, uh, and then two and a half minutes of Halberton with sprinkles of the double bigs, and we will talk about those guys as well. But that Nemhard brown Matherin trio played the whole quarter, and they were wrecking. They were awesome, and that was the big thing that changed the game for the Pacers in this game, was that group having a defensive moment and peak of just like, oh, wow. And yes, they played the Pistons. Caveats abound. That team turns it over a lot. They're really young. They're not very good on offense. But caveat number two is two teams with god-awful offenses, bottom 10 in the league, scored a bunch of points against the Pacers this week, right? The Magic and the Raptors. So 
The Pacers actually having long a long stint of success with the new look unit was noteworthy to me, especially in the context of the game where they were really struggling to get an advantage. They were actually losing in the fourth quarter at times, and then that group was phenomenal. Bruce Brown had two steals in the fourth quarter, getting the Pacers out in transition. He had three assists, he had two rebounds, and he made life horrible for Cade Cunningham on the other end, who in the fourth quarter, Cade Cunningham, was one for six with two assists and three turnovers and was minus 20. Rick Carlisle told us after the game that at halftime, he challenged Bruce Brown. He said, you know, we brought you here for these matchups, you know, and they wanted him to lock in on Cade, and he did. Bruce Brown was awesome, awesome, awesome in this fourth quarter. Eight points, three assists, two steals, two rebounds, plus 22. The other, Another guard who played all 12 minutes, Ben Matherin. Didn't do any of the stuff that Ben Matherin is known for. One for three from the field. Doesn't sell his impact. It sells his impact very short, excuse me. He had a steal. That's his only stat in the whole quarter besides that made shot. He defended incredibly well. Right, He also did a good job. He was on Ivy at times, making his life harder. He was on Asar Thompson at times, making his life harder. He was on Killian Hayes at times, making his life harder. Matherin was everywhere. It was one of his best defensive quarters of the game, or of the season, excuse me. Rick Carlisle praised him after the game for a similar impact to Matherin's against Milwaukee two weeks ago, perhaps his best game of the season. And then Nemhard, returning from injury, hasn't played in a week in the fourth quarter. Four for eight from the field, including a three, two rebounds, two assists, another steal. He had nine points in the quarter. Those three were awesome on defense. A lot of time on Ivy for Nemhard as well. He spent some time on Alec Burks, right? Those three were able to give the Pacers consistent perimeter defense for a long stretch, something they have not really had a lot this season, and that was huge. That completely changed the game. The Pistons are a good driving team. They get into the paint. That's how they want to play inside out, and it was working for them all night. They had, again, a lead in the fourth quarter, and then those three really turned it up and got it done. And I think that was significant for the Pacers. They haven't won like that a lot this season where they just have a dominant stretch of defense where three guys are really impressive. The Pistons scored 17 in the fourth. Again, I understand the context of who they were playing matters here, but 17 is good against anybody, right? That was a really fantastic stretch for those three guys to get it done. And then also, you, you, the front court matters in this game. Miles Turner was amazing in this fourth quarter, right? He said he was pissed off heading into the frame. He had 13 points and three boards entering the fourth. That's fine. 13 points is good. Three boards is not. Uh, he had zero rebounds at halftime. The Pacers were getting their butt kicked on the glass all night. And then this fourth quarter, Miles Turner, in 10 minutes, Miles Turner had 10 points, seven rebounds, two assists, one steal, two blocks. Unbelievable quarter for him. Five for seven from the field. He missed a three. So he was five for six on twos, like a, a crucial follow-up dunk on Ben Matherin, some nice plays around the basket, dunking, getting his own misses. Like he was awesome. Maybe the best quarter Miles Turner's had all season, plus 26. Not a typo. In a quarter, not a game, a single quarter, Miles Turner was plus 26. Toppin was in there as well, made both of his shots in the frame. Uh, he only played seven minutes of the frame, but that was a lot of time. They needed everything they got from everybody in that quarter, but Turner stepped up in a meaningful way. He was not having a good night. He was getting his butt kicked on the glass until he wasn't, until he was kicking the Pistons' butt on the glass. That perimeter trio was fantastic. Toppin filled in the gaps. A new lineup without Tyrese Halliburton was the changer late. And I kept thinking, because the game was a little close and kind of teetering, you know, are they going to bring ha Tyrese Halliburton back in the game? 102.99 was the point where I thought, man, they might have to go to him early. And the Pacers, from that point on, go on this nice run. They get it back to tie. They get the lead back. And the moment I knew they had a chance with this group, 
was at the six-minute mark after Turner's tip dunk. Running in transition, Ben Matherin gets a steal on Jaden Ivey, just completely rips him. It was awesome. And Matherin runs up, and he misses the layup, but Miles Turner is ready. He sprints the floor in transition, despite not being the closest guy to the play, jumps up above two pistons, tip dunk, Pacers go up seven, and that group stayed in. No subs. Pistons took a timeout at that point. Six minutes to go, Pacers up seven. You could bring in your finisher. Rick Carlisle says, heck no. This group's defending well. These guys are doing exactly what we want, playing the way we want on the defensive end. Sticks with them, and it pays off in a huge way. They didn't need to sub until the three-minute mark, and by that point, they were up 10. Full credit to Carlisle for staying with those guys, and credit to those guys for having the most perimeter defensive pressure we've seen from the Pacers all season for a quarter. Pacers defended okay in the first quarter, really crummy in the second and third quarters where the Pistons had 70 points in two quarters, right? That just can't happen against Detroit for, for the Pacers, and that's kind of been their status quo all season, but they really figured it out when it mattered with a new look group, and I think it's possible, especially if Matherin can defend like that for a long stretch, and again, I get it, it's the Pistons, but you want to see this going forward? I bet we see that trio a little bit more often because if they're going to play like that and be connected like that on defense and and get the Pacers in transition, which is how they want to be, then they should play. That was fantastic. They needed that look. They needed that stretch, and they got it, and they beat the Pistons by 23. There are some other key lineup tweaks I want to talk about, some other players having nice nights. Andrew Nemhard's night deserves more love under the microscope. From this game with the Pacers go to 9-6, and six. we still have to talk Blazers, in-season tournament scenarios. There's a lot still to come here on our first post-Thanksgiving Locked on Pacers podcast. But first, we got to talk about the great people over at Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. You just pick players and then more than or less than on two to six guys and their stat projections. Watch your winnings roll in. Basketball season is rolling. For example, Tyrese Halberton going to have more or less than 10.5 assists in a game. And you can do their specials league on Prize Picks which is a league specifically created for combo projections across sports. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made plus receptions. All that and way more fun on prize picks. They even have a reboot policy. If your entries, if someone gets hurt, great. You you can get rebooted. Prize picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Heck Yes, it's the best. Go to pricepicks.com. Use the code LOCKDOWNNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's pricepicks.com slash LOCKDOWNNBA. Get paid quickly. It's an absolute blast. Weekly promotions. Pricepicks.com slash LOCKDOWNNBA. Use that code LOCKDOWNNBA for a first deposit match up to $100 at PrizePicks Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy. Thank you, as always making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Check out Locked On Pistons. Here from the team that's lost 13 in a row. Yikes. They have some moments where they look okay, and they have a lot where they don't. Kuka Hill with more on the losing Pistons. It's weird to be moving around in my room and have a Christmas tree behind me and a Christmas puzzle to the side, but it's that time of year. It's exciting. So expect more lights in this show and a good mood for me because... Time of year is a blast. And speaking of good moods, you know who had to be in a good mood after Friday night is Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith and all the Pacers coaching staff who hatched a brilliant plan for this Pacers Pistons game. Right, still without Aaron Neesmith, he's got this wrist injury. He's said uh, Rick Carlisle told us on Sunday he's going to be listed questionable for the Blazers game. We'll see, but he did practice some on Sunday, so they still needed a, a ninth player. Right, they needed whoever their ninth guy is going to be to soak up minutes as a forward type, right? Uh, uh, two days before against the Raptors, that was Jordan Wara. He had a tough night missing shots. That's not 
the expected night for Jordan Wara, but that's who they went with for that spot. The Pistons are huge. And Jalen Dern was back. He had missed games previously, but he was back from injury. He's kind of limited on minutes. Well, that's what at least Monty Williams said. He ended up playing 29 minutes. But he's big. And Marvin Bagley's big. And Isaiah Stewart's big. And Isaiah Livers is back for them. And he's kind of big, although he's more of a perimeter guy. They're huge, right? They're a big team. And so the Pacers needed a plan. Wara could perhaps hold up against Livers, but not against any of their two-center interior-based looks. And so they said, nope, we're not doing that. We're going with Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith together they told them or at least Isaiah Jackson said that at shoot around that was they were told that was the plan they're ready to go and we've seen that before Friday they've played about 285 minutes together since the Pacers had both of them on the roster before Friday so they have some experience together Pacers had a positive plus minus in those minutes which was surprising to me but it's not like this is the first time we've seen Jackson Smith together but Rick Carlisle was right to point this out it's the first time we've seen them together this season with this iteration of the Pacers and their play style, which is different than past Pacers teams and their different defensive scheme and their different offensive pace. it's it, Yes, they have experience together and that matters, but it's still different. They still had to produce. It still had to be the right plan. And so Jalen Smith was the backup four instead of the backup five. And Isaiah Jackson was the backup five, which was all very interesting to me. But the the bench, like Duran played 29 minutes and Livers played 26. And then Bagley and, and Isaiah Stewart, both two tough, bulky guys in the interior, we're still playing, right? And all these guys had decent games for the Pistons, but they were heavily deterred by Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith together. They were both awesome, right? I was actually surprised by the matchups. Jalen Smith played the four, so he was on livers on the perimeter, and then on offense, he was the four because he would space. Well, it helps. Jalen Smith went two for two from deep. Very helpful in the game that he was spacing the floor and providing that power forward-like skill set. He also had six rebounds, did a good job there, barely turned it over. He was great. Jalen Smith did exactly what the Pacers needed in this game. He fit well with Isaiah Jackson, and that was important. Isaiah Jackson, who hasn't played with Smith all season, he wasn't perfect finishing, although a lot of his misses were off of his own shots, and he got a grenade three at the end of a shot clock, which whatever, you're going to miss that. He also had eight points and six rebounds, although four of them were offensive. He also had a steal and three blocks. And a key plus minus of five, but they had Jackson on Duran, and that surprised me. I thought Smith would be on Duran and Jackson would be on the perimeter guy, but Jackson, Isaiah Jackson, to his credit, and I even asked him about this at practice Sunday, went against like a bulky, strong center, the guys who have kind of crushed him before, right? I've always thought that Isaiah Jackson's better at defending like fours and threes sometimes than fives. That's not always true, but sometimes. He was awesome on Duran. It was his, one of his best performances against a center that I can recall, and he said, you know, he felt good about how he defended the post. He can tell he's getting stronger, how that all felt for him. And you could see it, right? He was really good in those moments. You can dig into the NBA's matchup data to see who was on the most. But when he was on Durant, Durant was 0 for 3. Did not make a shot with Isaiah Jackson guarding him, right? That is extremely significant for the Pacers and for Isaiah Jackson. And so credit to the Pacers in a game where they needed a solution against a big team, where they just got beat by size against Toronto. They made a big adjustment, went to a lineup they haven't used all year, and it worked very well. Those two big combos off the bench were plus five for the game, being a positive at all significant. They were plus 12 in the first half, and the Pacers were losing at halftime. Had that group not worked or been successful, the Pacers could have been down big at halftime, right? Instead, they were right in the thick of it, which helped them hang in there and get this win late. So credit to those two guys um, for playing well together, for doing their job, for being locked into the scouting report and defending well, and credit the Pacers coaching staff for coming up with such an idea. Their whole rotation was kind of different, right? The minutes were normal-ish, 
But they turned to Nemhard a lot more than I thought in his first game back from a back injury, and he was really, really good. I mean, Andrew Nemhard was awesome in this game. This game, if you remember my bold prediction before the season, was that Nemhard's going to be an X-factor for this team. That was in part because of his defensive impact, and you saw in this game kind of what I meant. He hasn't done this all season, so I'm not patting myself on the back, but I am saying this is an example of what I thought he could be when he is at his most crucial for this team. Distributing very well, four assists, right? Making his shots, hitting a three, and of course, just being a wrecker on defense and being everywhere and making it hard for good creators. He had a lot of moments of really good defense where he was getting driven on. Someone was trying to back him down or push him under the rim. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. Forced the other team the Pistons into like eight or longer footers. That's extremely significant. He was fantastic in this game and they were able to turn to him in more situations, right? And one of those was with Matherin more. Matherin, 31 minutes despite coming off the bench. He played more than Heald. He played more than Toppin. He played more than Turner. He almost played as much as Halberd. Six of 12 from the field and awesome defense. So those two defending well, the two guards the Pacers picked in the draft last year, was really significant for the rotational tweaks the Pacers made because they could defend so well and keep the Pacers in it or at times ahead, and their plus-minus reflects it perfectly. Matherin was plus 27 in his 31 minutes. <laughs> Nemhard was plus 25. They had a lot of guys who were close to zero or even negative in some cases because of the times they were in, but that says a lot about those moments and their Pacers defense, and their good defensive lineups were fantastic. And in general, you know, Halliburton was 9 for 23. He was 5 for 13 from deep, right? He had 26 and 10. He still had a good, a good enough game. But, like, I don't think he loved how he played. He'll, he would have been the first to tell you. But every guy stepped up. Bruce Brown didn't shoot the ball well. Doesn't matter. His game was phenomenal. If you watched the game, you would know that Bruce Brown played a phenomenal game for the Pacers. Defensively, passing the ball on the glass, getting steals. 10-4-5-3 stat line. Even though he missed seven shots, who cares? He was awesome in this game. Got to the line five times as well. Turner's fourth quarter, like I said earlier. Fantastic. Topping six for eight from the field. He continues to be on a roll making his shots. Three for five from deep as well. Heald makes half of his threes. Moving him into the starting lineup has resurged his efficiency. Already talked about Matherin. Already talked about Nemhard. The two bench bigs together. We're phenomenal. Ben Shepard gets in with 36 seconds left after some scuffling at the end. Doesn't really matter. He didn't do anything for 36 seconds, but he was in the game. Everybody who played stepped up on Halbert and having a night where the shots weren't falling, and the Pacers absolutely needed it. Credit to every Pacer who played for having a solid game and stepping up in very needed moments for this Pacers team, whether it was a needed three at a certain time or a big defensive stretch or whatever it was. Everybody was ready for their assignment and role. And it was harder of a game than it should have been to me for them, even though I did say on Thursday, I think stylistically the Pistons are a tough matchup for the Pacers. They dug in, they found a way to get it done, and man, oh man, did the Pacers kick some butt for the final five minutes of basketball. And it sounds goofy because it could have, you know, whatever, they won by 23. But like being up four with six minutes to go or five, whatever, and then winning by that much is just crazy. They scored almost every possession down the stretch of this game, and the Pistons didn't. <laughs> and that helped the Pacers get in transition and play their game, and Halliburton came in and hit a three and dunked it to like put it away. It was bananas, and that's significant. It was an in-season tournament game. The Pacers expand their lead in the point differential department. They're now plus 39 through four games. We'll talk about why that matters a little bit, but not as much as it could have. In the next segment, we're talking about the in-season tournament, ramifications, and the Portland Trailblazers, the Pacers' two-night opponent 
Big stuff. Pacers hosting a quarterfinal game for the in-season tournament. What day is it? Who are they playing? All that stuff. We're talking about it in just a second. But before we do so, we're going to talk about the lovely people over at FanDuel. The weather's getting colder, but the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. You know, it wasn't cold Lucas Oil Stadium with the roof closed. The Colts win their defense. How about that? Getting it done in the clutch against the Buccaneers in the playoff mix. Indianapolis Colts right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet on FanDuel. How about that? $150 if your team wins. A $5 money line bet. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action than right now. NBA's rolling, NHL's rolling, NFL's in the thick of things. The app, the FanDuel app, really easy to use. They have a wide range of betting options, including the over unders, the spreads, the player props, whatever your favorites are. They've got them. So visit fanduel.com slash lockdown and kick off the NFL season over on FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Back here on Locked On Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Check out Locked On Sports today's YouTube channel, 24 7 sports channel of Locked On shows to get you your fix on the biggest stories around the sports world, whatever they may be that day. 24-7 sports. How about that? Doesn't get better than that Pacerland, specifically Pacers win against the Pistons in-season tournament. What does that mean? What are the Pacers doing? Well, if you listened last week, I talked about what the Pacers were rooting for on Friday, of course, besides themselves winning, to potentially host a quarterfinal game of the knockout stage of the in-season tournament. Well, the Pacers won, which is, of course, significant, but the other significant thing happened before the Pacers even played, and that is that the Orlando Magic beat the Celtics, which means no team in Group C can go undefeated. Orlando has a loss, Boston has a loss, Brooklyn has a loss, and so... There can only be two East undefeated teams at most, perhaps only one. And so the Pacers are going to host the game. They're guaranteed to be a top two seed uh, in the in-season tournament from the East, which is huge for the Pacers to host that game uh, and huge for them that they don't play uh, for the rest of the competition. And they can just watch and see what their situation is going to be come the end of Tuesday. There is one more round of in-season tournament games that's coming. But we don't know what the Pacers' exact seed is going to be or who their opponent is going to be just yet. This is why this matters at the end that the Pacers didn't run up the score. They just were scoring a lot because they were dominating. They got their point differential up to plus 39 at 4-0. That is hilarious because the Bucks, the other undefeated team in the East, are also at plus 39 through three games, which is an exact match, which means it's easy. If the Bucks lose, their point differential doesn't really matter because it'll be their records worse, but it'll be worse than the Pacers anyway. And if the Bucks win and both teams are 4-0, the Bucks are guaranteed to have a better point differential. So then being even makes the math very easy in the situations as easy as possible. The Bucks play the Heat Tuesday night. If the Bucks win, the Bucks are the number one seed in the East for the in-season tournament knockout rounds. If the Heat win, the Pacers are the number one seed for the Eastern Conference knockout rounds. So just like the Pacers really wanted the Magic to beat the Celtics on Friday, which happened, the Pacers now want the Heat to beat uh, the Bucks on Tuesday. There's a lot of other stuff that's interesting here because if the Pacers are the two seed, meaning Milwaukee wins, that means they would play the winner of Group C in the first round, which is still unknown. It could be any number of teams. Currently, the Magic are on top of the group. And they have the tiebreaker over the Celtics, who are 2-1. and one. But
but the Nets beat the Magic. So the Nets have the tiebreaker over the Magic, and the Nets are 2-1. and one. The Nets play Toronto Tuesday, and Boston play Chicago, who stinks. If all three teams go 2-1, and one, it comes down to point differential. The Magic are currently plus 22, the Celtics are exactly even, and the Nets are currently plus 8. So the Nets winning by at least 15 would give them... Uh, would vault them over the Magic in basically every scenario, and the Celtics winning by a lot would be significant. That one is still up in the air, but the tiebreakers being a circle makes it confusing. So if one of the Celtics or Nets lose, tiebreakers are going to come into play. And so all that to say, who the Pacers are going to play first? Good question. I would say, just looking at what the games are, the Celtics can beat the Bulls by more than 22. I think that's possible, but I think the most likely winner of Group C is the Magic right now, because if the Nets lose, the Magic just automatically win the group anyway, and they have a pretty good chunk of point differential advantage, and so I think if the Bucks win, the Pacers' most likely first-round opponent is Orlando, and if the Bucks lose to the Heat, then things get crazy, because Miami would then have the tiebreaker over the Bucks, but the Bucks have it over the Knicks, and the Knicks have it over the Heat, so Group B is crazy. And the Cavs could get the wild card in the Pacers group. They have a good point differential. They're 2-1. and one. I just mentioned a bunch of 2-1 and one teams in Group C. There's 10 teams that could get the wild card spot, depending on how the results go. So it's hard to say who the Pacers could play if they're the one seed in the East. Uh, it could be Cleveland. It could be Philly. It could be Atlanta. Milwaukee, New York, Miami, even Charlotte somehow still technically alive, just given how these groups have shaken out. So there's a lot of ways, because you have to get second in your group, which is important. The tiebreakers still matter there, even though you could be better than a different team in this situation. So the wild card thing is impossible to predict. If the Bucs lose on Tuesday, the Pacers could play a number of teams. If the Bucs win, it's very easy, and it's down to just three teams, Orlando, Boston, and Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn's the easiest matchup for the Pacers, so they would be rooting then. Uh, for a Boston loss and a Brooklyn win, but that's a lot of specifics and a lot of stuff that we can't talk about until Wednesday when we can figure out who the Pacers play and when the game, the first round, the quarterfinals in Gamebridge Fieldhouse will either be December 4th or December 5th. TBD on what day that will be. The semifinals, should the Pacers make it, would be on December 7th, and then the finals would come after. And if the Pacers lose their first round in the quarterfinals and don't make the semifinals, they would play the other loser in a regular season game before resuming the normal schedule. Speaking of the normal schedule, the Pacers play tonight in a regular game, not a tournament game, against the Blazers, who kind of stink. Blazers just smoked the Jazz uh, on the 22nd for their most recent game. They haven't played in a long time. But they play um, the Bucks tonight before playing the Pacers. That game has not finished yet, so if you're listening to me, I have no idea what the result of that is. I'd imagine the Bucks are going to win. Um, but the Blazers are not very good. <laughs> they are a very interesting team. Uh, oh, the Bucks are about to win. Uh, anyway, the Blazers are an interesting team to me. Their defense is decent. 19th-ish in the league, kind of in the middle of the pack. And they have the worst offense. The worst offense. So they're kind of like Detroit in terms of those just high-level numbers. But the difference is, stylistically, Detroit tries to drive and shove it down your throat and the piss, or excuse me, the Blazers are not as much like that. They kind of are, but not the same way. And the other difference is they have no shooting. The Blazers are last in the league in three-point percentage, 32.4%. And that's so low that I would be inclined to say that's fluky. But their top minutes guy, Shaden Sharp, not known for his shooting. Jeremy Grant is making his threes. And these numbers are still what they are. DeAndre Ayton has not taken a three this season. Brogdon's an okay shooter if he has good creators, but they don't really... Anthony Simons is hurt. Scoot Henderson shooting under 10% on threes, right? 
they're counting on a lot of inconsistent shooters to make them, and they haven't been. So that's going to be tough still. And the Pacers try to not give up three-point attempts. Okay, so the twos, well, the Blazers are 27th in the league in two-point percentage. So they attack the rim well. They have decent rim attackers when they're fully healthy especially. Um, but you know, Pacers know Brogdon well, like he's not getting full steps on a lot of guys these days. Shaden Sharp's really young and he's kind of turnover prone right now. Anthony Simons is out. Scoot Henderson's young. He's turnover prone. So they are a very strange team in that they have guys who can kind of create those advantages, but not to the extent that the Pistons can. And that's, there's a reason their offense is so low. So the Blazers 27th in turnovers per game, 29th in assists. They're not good on the glass. Aiton is not a good rebounder for a big or at least hasn't been this season. I know what the numbers say. You just got to watch them, right? You just got to watch them. So there's not a lot that I think the Blazers do that will expose anything the Pacers do, and their defense is kind of good. Um, they they also try to prevent threes, right? They allow the fourth fewest per game, but they're giving up a lot on the inside. So guys who can attack the rim or can create advantages in the paint are going to be significant for the Pacers, a.k.a. they're good creators. Hal Burton and Nemhard especially, but we've seen Bruce Brown be good in this roles recently. Matherin, of course. Even Buddy Heald's had some nice drives these last couple games. The guards in general putting pressure on the rim will be significant to me, and then making sure that the rebounding battle does not sway off of what it looks like it should on paper uh, will be important as well. They don't they force a lot of turnovers, right? Their defense is decent. So take care of the ball. I don't think the styles are going to favor the Blazers as much as they did with the Pistons. So I think the Pacers should have a not comfortable win. They haven't had any hardly any of those for a while this season. Um, but they should be in control more in this game than I think they were on Friday. Uh, they have the talent advantage, and there's no style gap like there was last Friday. So uh, we'll see how this shakes out, but I'm not the most confident person in this Blazers talent. They're kind of like the Jazz last year. Well, the Jazz were kind of good last year until they traded Conley, but where it's like they have a lot of interesting young guys, but the plan was not to end up with this team. It's just they traded Dame for the best package and then Drew for the best package, and this was the best stuff they could get but not the team they were trying to build and that's fine that's the best thing you should do and figure it out from there and scoot's been hurt and simons has been hurt they'll be fine but it's not like exactly the vision that i'm sure they had and they will take them a few years to get to where they want to be and we'll see how they look against the pacers tonight and you know we'll be talking about it here on lockdown pacers tomorrow and then there's a gap they don't play till thursday so we'll have two guests after that wednesday and thursday talking about the pacers season to date every player on the roster can't reveal the guests until they're totally booked, but I think I got them both down, so we'll see. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I'm on Twitter at Tony R. East, and the show is at Lockdown Pacers. So if you want to bug me or ask me a question about something, that is the place to do it. Back tomorrow talking Pacers, Blazers, and any other general topics that may spring from that game. Tell then everybody have a fantastic day.